All right, welcome back everyone to another episode of Keel Conversations. My name is Mark Champagne and I am your host and it is my job to unpack the stories and mental fitness practices of exceptional people living at the top of their game personally and professionally. If you are enjoying the journey and these conversations, please do give us a little love wherever you're listening. These reviews, stars, and your comments do go a long way, so we really appreciate them. Lastly, before we dive in, this podcast is supported by Keo, which is our daily mental fitness app. All these incredible guests end up loaded in-app to help guide you through your daily mental fitness. So just search KYO in the Apple App Store and it will pop up. Thank you, as always, for listening and for your attention. Have the best day yet. Today, I'm chatting with Jamie, who is the executive director of the Flow Genome Project and is a leading expert on the neurophysiology of human performance. He leads a team of the world's top scientists, athletes, and artists dedicated to mapping the genome of the peak performance state known as flow. I am really pumped to share this conversation because... A, the topic is really fascinating, but B, Jamie has the ability of just providing a no bullshit, keep it to the basics type of conversation, which makes this all very practical. So enjoy this chat. All right, Jamie, so who are you? Uh, I am the co-founder of the Flow Genome Project, uh, an organization dedicated to the research and the training of peak human performance. So what are we and who are we at our absolute best? And the co-author of the 2017 book, Stealing Fire, which was tracing this kind of rising revolution of people all around the world that are looking to kind of basically hack their neurobiology and psychology um, for the better. Amazing. I'll back it up a little bit. You know, when I say, who are you? Um, and thank you for that detail. But what I'm curious is, you know, how would you, how do you define yourself? We're going to go a little deep to start this one off. <laughs> yeah. I mean, who the hell knows? It would be the simplest, <laughs> uh, the simplest answer. I, I, I would say um, I, was, I was actually leading a group of, of executives through, you know, like what's your personal, you know, purpose kind of thing. And, and sure. I, were, I was like three minutes into it. I'm like, holy shit, I don't have one myself. And, uh, <laughs> and so, but then as soon as I thought about it, I'm like, Oh, like my, like, who am I is, you know, somebody dedicated to two things, uh, seeking truth and mm. sharing it. And I realized, and it actually was, it was pretty functional because it was like, if I just sought truth, I'd be, you know, a lunatic living up in a cave in the Himalayas. Um, and if I just shared it, uh, at some point I would kind of get to the bottom of the well and I would become a caricature of who I formerly was. So it's the back and forth between like climbing the mountaintop and seeing what's what at the most fundamental levels of reality and human experience, and then also uh, finding fun, engaging, inspiring ways to uh, share the experience with other folks. Love that. Really, I, I really love that intersect. Is that something, Jamie, I mean, did you possess that as, as you were growing up? Or is this something you evolved into? Or, you know, were you always just that, you know, curious boy or kid going through life and, and wanting to share these experiences? Like, where does it all come from? Mm -hmm. Well, the seeking part was for sure through childhood. I mean, I was, 
kind of ripped out of English uh, life and culture and then okay. dropped into a very strange American culture for me, which was like rural, the rural South, like tobacco farmers and oyster men and that kind of stuff on okay. the Chesapeake Bay. And then like thrown into Catholic school, you know, with, with from like the descendants of the original English Catholics, which there's not many in America. Most people think of Italians and Irish and other things like English Catholics who settled Maryland in the 17th century. And it was like, whoa, where did yeah. I go? I went from like Hogwarts to <laughs> that. So, so yeah, so I was always on the outside looking in, or at least felt that way. Um, so I kind of had this default anthropological perspective on American culture and customs. You know, even in high school, I'm like, hmm, this, this animal house party thing where you're swinging from the ceiling fans and puking in the bushes is very odd and curious to me. Like, so I was just <laughs> always, always like, what is this strange thing we monkeys are doing? Yeah. And then it wasn't until, and I was young, so I was like a couple of grades ahead in school just by that kind of accidents of school you know like transferring over yeah and so i was always like the little pipsqueak you know i graduated from high school when i was 16 and went to college at that age and so i was just always like playing catch up and then like my sophomore year of college i think i'd finally finished growing um and i realized oh shit like people actually look up to me i was like the kid brother i was always the tag along always through high school and i was like oh my god some somebody might actually look up to me wow, that was rad and, um, and very strange. So then I kind of got, got into, um, you know, like wilderness medicine and like beach patrol and, and, and ski patrol and varying other things where I kind of just started taking on more and more leadership and responsibility. And somewhere in there, probably college to grad school, I kind of realized, oh, well, there, you know, there might be a role to actually share things where somebody might give a shit about what I had to say <laughs> and, and actually be interested in following. Oh, amazing. I love that. So is that where... Like where did the fascination of the brain and, and like personal optimization start coming into your life? I mean, I can, I can feel a bit of it there, just even describing your, your upbringing, but where did it really kick in and, and, and why, I guess? You know, I mean, I would say it was just a hundred percent organic. I was just following what made me tick okay. and w what made me tick was like the places I was happiest was for sure. Like life of the mind, like I could just geek out all day long on books, history, literature, you know, classics, whatever, like just understanding the kind of basically like a classical kind of education, like that side of it always lit me up. But the rest of me mm -hmm. um, had to move my body. And I loved, you know, windsurfing and skiing and water skiing and, and mountain biking. And those were the only other place I could quiet that brain down. Um, and so, yeah, so, so basically the rest of my life came from how do I find neutral so that my mind is not just spinning at 5,000 RPM the whole time. And I found it in basically gravity sports in nature. Um, okay. And that was always like a really, I mean, A, just shit positive fun, and B, a really nice channel change and relief. Um, and then live music, um, you know, was another big one. Uh, I, I was, you know, fortunate enough to kind of catch the tag end of the Grateful Dead, you know, you know traveling circus. And I remember like, you know, the, the first show I saw, I remember like hooting out loud in delight. Like they played some old Chuck Berry song or something, you know, and okay. it was like just full on American rock and roll. And you're like, oh, and I was like, and I, and I was like, who the hell just, you know, shout it out loud. That was me. Oh my God. Like repressed English boy, like <laughs> hooting at the top of his lungs and dancing with total strangers. And that was like a total epiphany. I'm like, man, you know, this is, this is absolutely spectacular. So music and mountains and oceans, um, psychedelics and long-term, you know, uh, relationship, basically, you know, romantic 
relational and sexual partnership, those things were like, hmm, this is my life. Like, this is what makes me tick. This is what inspires me. This is what gives me information and inspiration. This is what helps me heal and mend and like stand up a little taller. And this is what connects me to other people. So I'm not just an autistic spaz in the, you know, in a library somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. Oh, that's not easy. So see, some of those party days came into effect at one point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, amazing. So then when, like, when did it really get to the point where, I, I, you know, I'm fast forwarding here, obviously, um, but like your, your kind of your life's work, right? I mean, you're giving keynotes and you're an author and you're, you guys are running a pretty awesome program around studying the mind and, and so many different people, right? To uncover um, more around flow states. Like maybe we should back up and give uh, a bit of a description for the audience um, of what, what flow actually is in your opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, we could, the kind of pat answer we give is that it's a state where you feel and perform at your best. Yeah. Um, I like to think of it a little bit more specifically, which is it sort of feels like a, a state of extreme situational awareness, meaning you're just paying way the hell more attention to more of what's going on around you. Uh, and, and hyper ergonomics, meaning just like absolutely frictionless relationship between intention and action. Yeah. Linking back to those examples you gave earlier. Yeah. yeah. And, and obviously, um, yeah, you know, um, live, mu- live music, um, psychedelics, action sports, sexuality, those are all awesome places to play. Mm-hmm. Um, they're very, they're very instructive and, and more to the point, they're fun. And, and so like, why did we, um, for instance, you know, call this organization the flow genome project instead of the do your goddamn push-ups project you know it was really specific because you know we've been teaching at places like Esalen and teaching you know and guiding in the mountains and you know the rockies and the sierras and the himalayas and just all kind i was just always like how do we how do you create like design and deliver dynamic learning experiences like that's really what i've been my whole life and you know adult life has been focused on how do you rock people's world with awesome adventures that help us grow um, and, and as a result, um, I realized, okay, peak experiences, are kind of a dime a dozen, you know, like that's actually not the hard thing. Everybody can go to a, um, you know, a weekend workshop or, a, you know, transformational festival or even a, you know, 10 day Vipassana retreat, meditation retreat or something like, and people can be cracked right open. You can have a, you can have a clean state peak state experience, but Monday morning, um, is always a bitch. Yeah. And, oh, you and right. And so, so long-term sustainable practice, um, there is just this massive, massive drop off. And that's the thing we needed to crack. So the, you know, I, I, ironically, I called it the flow genome project because uh, my, my last thought, my last hope for like humans developing is, um, guilt doesn't work. Vanity doesn't work. You know, those are all just finite resources. Willpower doesn't work. Um, but what if there was, if if we could build our life and our practices around the things that stoke us out so much, we can't help but want to do more of them because I realized for myself, like I'm a lazy bastard. Like I've always lived in the mountains in beautiful places. I could hop on a mountain bike. I could put on a strap on a pair of skis and I will go and bust my ass to climb and descend a mountain or paddle out, you know, and, and kite surf for as long as I, you know, until I can't, can't, you know, feel my arms anymore. Sure. But I would never go to a treadmill in a gym. 
And I was like, huh, that's really interesting. Like on the one hand, I'm willing to like suffer greatly for these things. On the other hand, I have zero motivation to do the mindless Stairmaster or treadmill thing. And so I was like, okay, so what's the difference and how can we hack intrinsic motivation? And if you can connect it to flow states, which, you know, because of the neurochemistry and because of just a whole bunch of reasons why, um, they generally are self-motivating. The the technical term Mm. is autotelic. And so if you can take the autotelic drive of humans just being, you know, playful apes, basically. And if we can harness kind of play, discovery, adventure, novelty, and connect that to the wagon of homegrown humans making better people, then that, that, that's kind of how we got to the flow genome project and this kind of, you know, most recent chapter in our work. Love it. Well, it's, you know, I'm just reflecting as you're, as you're providing that information and, and it's, I guess it's, I mean, you're setting yourself up for success essentially, right? Like pick the things that, you know, you, you know, at this point that to your point, right. Um, you know, you don't like the treadmill, so maybe avoid the treadmill and do things you do like while you're still getting the, you know, similar benefits, right. And, and live out your life in in that fashion, Mm -hmm. which, um, yeah, Go ahead. Yeah, and, and, and well, I mean, it's you know, in some respects, it's it's a almost a kind of contemporary Taoism. Sure. And and is it possible to uh, to line ourselves up with our natural impulses without a whole lot of the kind of oughts and shoulds, um, or just kind of blind compliance, or you know, a, you know, just uh, sort of um, inheriting somebody else's agenda. Um, what is my natural life expression and can I get as clear, can I clear out everything else and let that come through? Yeah. The thing I like that you said, Jamie, was just related to kind of these acute events, right? Where then all of a sudden Monday morning happens again. And and, and I relate to that just because it's a large part of why we, we started Keo as well is that, you know, in our case, we're, we're really dealing with reflection and writing and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And the, the whole premise is, you know, you don't have to wait until you go on a retreat or you're meditating on, you know, the top of a majestic mountain. Like there are, there are moments throughout every single day, no matter where you are, that you can kind of tap into the benefits of some of these practices, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which I'm like, we're in it, obviously we're, we're starting to see the change, but like, what do you think is driving the want to actually explore this stuff a little bit more versus I feel like, you know, in, in, in the past, you know, you could, and, and I'm general, I'm generalizing here, but for the most part, you know, you'd have, you know, top performing athletes, let's say as an example, are, would be the ones that are studying all of this kind of stuff and really dial in, in these practices. But now, it, it's becoming a little bit more mainstream and people seem to be listening or at least asking questions. What do you think is driving that? Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, um, you know, fascinating, complex, open-ended question and lots of people have more or less considered responses to it. Um, you know, what we laid out in stealing fire was that, you know, Clearly, this has been going on for the last, you know, 40, 50 years. I mean, ever since kind of the 60s and the baby boomer, human potential movement, all of that kind of stuff, you know, uh, which gave birth to Aston Landmark, which gave birth to Tony Robbins, which kind of gave birth to, you know, et cetera. So like on the one hand, this is just a, a natural progression uh, sure. of that. And on the other hand, uh, there is something 
a more recent development, which is just the intersection of what we call the sort of four forces for ecstasis or for non-ordinary states. And that's um, technology, neurobiology, pharmacology, and psychology. And those are four very different disciplines that generally haven't spoken to each other or cross-pollinated explicitly. But now they're all kind of crisscross crashing at this intersection where they're each informing, amplifying, and accelerating what's happening in the other domains. So, you know, when you have Michael Pollan writing a book about like what's called Change Your Mind, writing about about his experience with psychedelics, you're like, oh, that's really interesting. That's pharmacology. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's basically a bunch of research starting to happen, digging up the serotonin system in our brains. We didn't, you know, we, we basically put all that research on hold 40 years ago and then we got Prozac and SSRIs, yeah. you know, which is a bit of a bum deal. And now we're having <laughs> technology like, you know, fMRIs and imaging systems and this and that. And like an Imperial College in London, they've been putting people under the influence of psilocybin and MDMA and other substances, but then measuring what's going on in their brains. And it's changing, not just, um, it's not just saying, oh, this is good for people with depression or good for people with smoking cessation or, or trauma, like they're doing at Johns Hopkins, but actually saying, hey, this is accelerating our understanding of our theories of mind. Like we've learned more in two years of doing this study, which is an intersection of pharmacology and technology, um, and you know, and giving us a sense of the psychology, we've learned more about theories of mind than we did in a hundred years of philosophizing about them. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and then that's moving into smart tech, and you know, and now you're seeing more and more cool wearables and more and more interesting VR and AR because all of these fields are overlapping the information is more and more accessible the experiences are less and less exotic and they are safer and more scalable and so you know and so i think those you know literally the intersection of those four forces in this last decade uh is is you know i think playing a big part as to why we're kind of getting to critical mass now what 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 excites you most right now in terms of where we're at in in this space in the realm of kind of like personal development improvement kind of stuff yeah. Well, I mean, you know, funnel, I'm, I'm a bit of a curmudgeon and like my background, my academic background is historical anthropology. So I always tend to think in long arcs, you know, of like decades to centuries or more. Sure. And so as a result, I'm, I'm usually like kind of like tight, like over the thing that's happening. And I'm really most interested or curious about what's happening next. So um, what I think is likely, highly likely to happen is that there's going to be a bit of a let down, you know, not unlike like blockchain hype, you know, like right now the, the blockchain market has crashed. And so all of the, you know, fervor about buying Lamborghinis and shit like that is kind of like, it's, it's resting for a little yeah. while. There's some consolidation, right? And I think something similar is, is, is going to happen almost inevitably with the quote unquote psychedelic renaissance. Okay. You know, so like take Michael Pollan's book, take all these studies and everyone's like, yay, microdosing this and that, and yay, all these studies. And, you know, we're going to be on the other end of the hype cycle in three to five years. And probably true with like the whole legalization of medical cannabis, et cetera. And there will just be that sense of like, wait a second, guys, you know, we thought it was going to change the world. We thought it was good for everything. The realities are is there's collateral damage. The realities are is we still have to do our pushups. The realities are, and we will be on the far side of that. And so I'm really interested in how do we maintain them? How do we learn basically from the folks that came before us? So the the baby boomers, the hippie generation, the Tim Learys, all those, you know, all the both mistakes and lessons. 
And how do we actually try and do something that is more sustainable? Because we are better than ever at hacking peak states and peak states are by definition awesome and therefore highly addictive. Yeah. And so the, the dark underbelly of autotelic, meaning I can't help but do this again, is addiction. I can't help but do this again. <laughs> right. And, and so, you know, and clearly in the, you know, transformational festival scene, the Burning Man community, whatever, you know, kind of you know, all the concentric circles out from there, um, there's a whole bunch of people going and ringing the bell. Like, woohoo, this is awesome. And then going back and ringing the bell again and again and again, and not nearly as much putting it on the ground and practical application. So the thing, I, I mean, forecasting what I would be excited about next, and there definitely are people already doing it, is just people doing hard, real work in the world, mm -hmm. inspired by peak experiences, but not hijacked by them. I love the way you just phrased that because, uh, you know, again, I was thinking as you were, you were speaking, you've mentioned a couple of times where, you know, you, you still have to do the push-ups, right? Like, yeah. and you can relate. You can relate that, that to really anything in life. It's, it's sure we can help optimize in certain certain areas. And to your point, you know, hit a lot of these peak levels and whatnot. But at the end of the day, you know, even this starting a business or anyone, you, you have to put in the work. Like, there's nothing substitutes that work. So, um, and, and maybe that's you know something that's happening right now. There's a bit of a misconception <laughs> on uh -huh. on those two worlds, right? Yeah, hundred percent. And you know, again, one of the ironies of us naming it the Flow Genome Project is that a number, you know, not surprisingly, people the first the first thing that people come through our door saying is like, "I'd like some more flow." And it's like, okay, well, if you'd like life to be effortless, easy, and joyful, go and do all the hard things you've been postponing. Yeah, you know, and, well and said. So, right? I mean, and then surprise, surprise, life becomes way easier. Um, and and it's so the idea is not some hippy dippy like go with the flow. You know, I'm I'm half an hour late to my lunch date because I was stopping to smell the roses. Like, no, no, son, you just pissed. You know, you just wasted half an hour of somebody else's time. Like, be on time. You know, deal with your finances. You know, do 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 physical training. Like, really, the, like there's a four stage model of flow, and we always tell people like, if you want more flow, forget about flow learn to struggle more efficiently and learn to recover more deeply because a lot of us these days are kind of stuck in chronic micro PTSD. Like our nervous systems are bombarded with cell phones and social media and 24 seven, you know, life and media and work and responsibilities and go, go, go. And so we are not getting to deep cycle recharge and then be a hundred percent engaged for, you know, what, psychologist or the you know old greeks would call eustress right we're just stuck in distress we're just fibrillating in the yeah. middle so we're, we're in that shit or go blind territory we're neither 100 percent focused alert and engaged nor are we ever truly recovering you know phones are first thing we turn on in bed in the morning last things we turn off at night like we're even on planes even in cars at stoplights we're never off and so we're just in fibrillation and so if we really want to make the most of this stuff it seems super helpful to get, like, get rid of distress, the micro PTSD level, and have focused eustress, the kind of like, like lifting weights, you know, tears down muscles, but they come, they build back stronger, like positive stress, i.e. I'm super engaged, I'm working on a passion project, I'm doing something with critical feedback and, and, and consequence, and then deep recovery. I'm sleeping more, I'm moving, I'm refueling, I'm spending time with loved ones, I'm spending time in reflection, I'm spending time in the natural world, 
that kind of thing. So to sure. me, that's the that's the that's the paradoxical lesson of trying to seek more flow. It's, it's kind of really about everything else around it. Well, thanks for sharing that. I, I appreciate that. It's um, I remember the first time we talked, and it, it, it reminds me of of, of that conversation. It, it was just kind of a no bullshit scenario. I mean, get back to the basics and, and the ground level, right? And then put in the work and away you go, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you know, this, the simplest, you know, do the hard thing is certainly one of our maxims, but an, another one is kind of like the idea of like 80, 20 woke to broke. Yeah. You know, the idea that like, hey, um, we can pursue uh, peak experiences, we can pursue enlightenment, meaning you know, blinky, shiny fairy lights, all that awesome stuff. And it can help us stand up tall after we've been slouching or slumping. And it can help us reconnect with our inspiration and kind of remember, oh, yeah, this, this is who I am. And this is what life's about. And this is what I'm here to do. Um, but after that, like, there is a certain just irreducible um, agony that is the counterweight to the ecstasy, you know, and sure. the agony is just being alive on this planet for a handful of decades and self-aware enough for us to know it all ends. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a son bitch, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and we shouldn't, we shouldn't shirk it and we shouldn't sell info products pretending we can, you know, we can inoculate somebody else from it. Um, we should actually be like, hell yes. You know, let us, let us, let us die heroically. You know, let us live a life of significance and sacrifice. And that's where we'll get the rest of our meaning, not from crawling up our own houses, yeah. you know, yeah. and, 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 and imagining we're going to someday learn to levitate. I uh, love it. So let's, let's <laughs> shift into some of your personal practices. Uh, that's a big part of these conversations and they live in the app and whatnot mm-hmm. as well. Um, so I'd love to, I'd love to know, you know, what, what does your routine consist of or what are some of the non-negotiables, whether these are taking place in the morning or evening or throughout the day? Like what are some of the things that are truly valuable and non-negotiable to you? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, and basically it boils down to two things like, you know, number one, do the obvious and number two, don't do stupid shit. Uh, (laughs) You know, so like the do the obvious is, you know, sleep more move often, eat well, meaning like high, you know, real food, mostly plants, not too much, Michael Pollan 101, you know, get outside, make love, be grateful. Um, those are the, those are the basics that cover most of it. And, you know, yes, what does that look like in my life? I get up in the morning and I drink a pint of water and I have a clean energy bar and some shade grown coffee. And then I move my body and body weight exercises and range of motion, including a lot of spinal rotation and, you know, and twisting and things to undo dusk bound sitting. And then I try and get out and stand up paddle or mountain bike or wherever I am, do something, you know, as often as I can. And a lot of times that gets clipped by life and responsibilities, you know, sure. Primary practice with my life partner is, you know, fundamentally um, romantic, physical, and, and connected. And we basically have piled everything from church to therapy to celebration into that practice. Um, mm. And our connection with our kids and our friends and good old fashioned human culture, you know, bathing, dining, dancing, you know, uh, celebrating, you know, those kinds of things. And the don't do stupid shit, you know, don't end up 
um, in a body bag. Don't end up in a jail cell or a loony bin or rehab. You know, don't change your name. Don't blow all your money on supplements. Don't, you know, and smart tech gadgets. Don't forget the forest for the trees. Like just don't do stupid shit. And, and the other one would be like, don't die wondering. So if in doubt, choose the new experience, make the new memory. Um, and, and live a life without regret as best as we possibly can. Hmm. Love it. Like yeah, the theme of the conversation, uh, is probably the theme of, of a lot of your, your conversations, whether they're recorded or not, obviously is yeah. Just the simplicity of like, get to the basics, right. Or down to the ground level, which, which I love. It's, it's heaven and earth, right? Is that there's that great, you know, uh, Taoist or Tai Chi kind of martial arts posture with like one palm pointing up to the sky and one palm pointing down to the ground. And like, that's us in between. Mm-hmm. So it's not that I'm like a reductive, rational materialist who says there is no meaning and there is no point. So don't bother searching. It's much more like, no, holy shit. Like the multiverse is vast and infinitely mysterious. Great. Now, the fascinating thing, the miracle is not that we are made of star stuff. You know, any physicist, you know, at Princeton or Harvard can and has told us that. Sure. You know, we are made of the stars. That is, that is our, that's the table stakes. The miracle is that we're temporarily here in earthbound bodies with opposable thumbs and prefrontal cortexes. So, like, let's get back to celebrating that as the as the you know the exceptional and the outstanding thing rather than trying to get away from it. So if Jamie, if you just because a lot of you know a lot of people are listening uh and I'm I'm hoping these these messages are are resonating. I'm sure they are they are with me. But for people that let, let let's say like you said life gets in the way um this is a, this is more of a mindset more than anything I think that uh you've been sharing with us. But let's say out of the all the things that you're doing if you have 20 minutes today, like what is the one thing that, all right, I, I'm, I need to prioritize this. I know that this is going to make me feel good. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's one of those funny, I don't even know what they're called, those e-cards, you know, where they have like those old timey, like 50s sketches and they always have something sarcastic to say, you know, like, and, and it's, <laughs> sure. um, you know, ask your doctor and getting off your ass is right for you, you know? So I would say, <laughs> you've got 20 minutes, get off your ass, get outside, move. Like actually get some sunshine and some trees and some water and some heart rate and just move. We are humans in these bodies and we are, this is the most disembodied generation of homo sapiens that has ever walked or, or driven themselves around this planet. Mm-hmm. And, and that's going to be the biggest gauge is like, if you want to change how you, how you think and feel, if you want to change your psychology, boost the amount of vitality you have in your system. Cause in some respects for almost like, you know, it's almost like, um, like one of those, um, you know, like County fair strongman things where you take the mallet and you whack the bell and like how high up does it go? Yeah. <laughs> um, basically, you know, we have access to the thoughts and emotions and insights and connections of the energy level that our overall body and brain are at. And if we're low on juice, the world looks sucky and things seem really hard. And when we're high on juice, uh, things seem inspiring, engaging, curious, and possible. So rather than spending hours 
whinging to a friend or paying for a high-dollar therapist to talk more about my problems at the level I'm feeling them. Just raise the energy level, raise the vitality of my system. And sometimes when we're depressed, when we're stressed, etc., it can be hard. You know, it's really hard to sleep better when you're really freaked out and anxious. It's really hard to make the time to move our bodies when. But the flip side is we spend a lot of time vegging on couches. We spend a lot of time browsing online, a lot of time thumb scrolling on our phones. So just reclaim some of that and say, hey, I'm going to go put gas in my tank. It, I may not feel differently yet, but I trust that um, afterwards I'm going to be better. Sure. Yeah. Well, and there's so, A, I mean, there, A, there's so much, you know, science and, and just firsthand experience to back that, right? But we get stuck in whatever is thrown in front of us, right? It's always that constant um, debate with, with yourself or that internal chatter, right? You know, you probably know you should be getting up and moving and getting outside, but yet, yeah, the majority of people uh, are stuck and, and, and aren't, right? hundred percent. And, you know, and there's all kinds of cool studies that show like water is the overwhelming. The Japanese do that forest bathing thing where they've now literally like take, take busloads of people out of Tokyo and just drop their asses in forests. And like literally go hug a tree. Like, you'll feel that, that. Yeah. They've done all the kind of studies showing, hey, you know, it lowers cortisol. It low, you know, it, it decreases blood pressure. But you're like, no shit, man. We are, we are once again, man. We're monkeys with clothes, and we've been yanked out of our natural habitats and put in concrete jungles, and we've become zoo animals. So, anything that gets us back, even tiny bits, and like, and they've done cool studies on exposure to water, where even compared to other pretty nature, whether it's trees, mountains, deserts, whatever, water absolutely soothes and down-regulates our nervous systems better than anything else. It's why waterfront property has such a premium. It's all that, you know, 90% of humans live within a mile of an ocean, a sea, or a river, <laughs> you know, so we are hardwired for it. So, so like, Go to your local park, even if it's just a pond with ducks, you know, go there, spend time there, um, do those kind of things. And we get a tiny bit closer back to who we've, you know, who we've been for hundreds of thousands of years instead of 10. Get to the water. I love it. The, uh, Jamie, I want to, uh, I'm going to start wrapping up. So I know you've got a pretty packed day out your way. Um, so a couple more questions, one being uh, related to questions. So, if you could provide us with you know, three reflective questions that you find circulating around in your, your daily life or during big life-changing events, uh, these questions are, are super helpful and, and they're loaded up in the app and help people stimulate their own reflection. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. So um, I think the first one is, is would I rather be right or effective? Because mm -hmm. In very, and that was truly game changing when I first heard it. It was like a lightning bolt through my brain because I was like, oh my God, I didn't even know that was a choice. And I just assumed that right was effective. You know, I was like, yeah. a, again, it was like on the spectrum, like meritocratic <laughs> cognitive, like, well, the, I'm Mr. Spock, like, well, but it's a logical captain. This is the right answer. Why doesn't everybody get that? And then, no surprise, I was often wildly ineffective at mobilizing people around me. Um, I just thought they were just being stupid or, or stubborn or something. So that is a great one when you're getting error messages in your life. And particularly, you know, particularly when you are really 
you know, out over your skis on being wed to a specific point of view or ideology or, you know, act outcome. And so you're just like, oh shit, well, of course I want to be effective. Anything else is just silly. So how do I get a little, how do I hold on to what I've been holding on to a little more loosely? So would I rather be right or effective is a phenomenally useful pattern interrupt. Um, Hot on the heels of that one is uh, one that came from George Leonard, the guy who actually founded and named the human potential movement, but he was a sixth down Aikido master as well. And on, over the door to his dojo in uh, Marin County, he had a great quote, which said, what are you pretending not to know? And that one, I mean, there was a single one, a gold star, I'd say that one. Ask, ask yourself that at least once a week. Love it. And if you're in any situation, like it's crazy how much we're tracking that we censor and it doesn't make it to our waking conscious narrative, which is usually almost always framing ourselves in the best possible light and ignoring all the error messages and not taking responsibility for the shit we're actually doing. And so ask yourself that in a relationship, like if your spouse or your partner is sad, be like, what am I pretending not that? But but honey, if you just told me what you need, then just ask yourself, what am I pretending not to know here? If your kid's sad, if your work performance is down, just ask yourself and like, and don't, don't censor it. And the list of things we track, but don't admit to is vast. That's one of the most powerful questions I've heard today. That's thanks for sharing that. <laughs> oh, it's destabilizing. It, and, and it never gets old. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. Like it is honestly, in fact, I had a guy, I was just giving a talk at a conference and I'd given a, oh, and I think I'd even met him like three or four years earlier at a different conference, different state. And he came, made a point of coming up to me this summer. And he's like, I just want you to know, you changed my life. And I'm like, what? I, I don't even quite remember this, you know, connecting the last sure. It's like, you asked me that question. And I was like, huh, fascinating. So like that, it has legs. Oh, for yeah. sure. <laughs> um, and, and the final one is don't flinch. You know, because it, particularly on this path of like accelerated self-development and all these kind of things, like, yes, the highs are higher, but the lows are lower. And the and there's just times that is absolutely pain-peelingly terrifying. And the thing to do there is just say that, you know, this too shall pass. You know, in, in DC, it's, they always say, it's, you know, it's, it's not the crime, it's the cover-up that gets you. And a lot yeah. of times in personal growth, it's not the pain of existence or the current challenge that gets us. It's our excess reaction and thrashing around that really undoes us. So the notion of like, don't flinch um, and and be strong through those kind of challenges is, is a really critical one. You know, in fact, even in mountaineering accidents, like if you read most mountain, like the Journal of American Alpine Accidents is actually a thing. And then they document all the fatalities and this and that. And number one, you know, they, they never, <laughs> the, the fatality never comes out of the blue. Sure. It's always like, oh, we were at we were at camp, and I went out to pee in the middle of the night, and I dropped a glove, and then I went after my glove, and the glove went over a you know a corner, and then I slid to my death. You know, of course, obviously, someone else is narrating, um, but it you know it starts with the drop glove, and the drop glove is recoverable. You know, the thousand foot death fall wasn't, and and so that notion of like just cool our jets, don't don't freak out when things get hairy. And, and keep your wits about you um, can be another super helpful one. Love it. Thank, well, thank you for sharing those. Uh, I, I can see why that guy approached it. I'm still thinking about that second question. It's, uh, it's profound. That, that's for sure. All three are great, but that second one is really something. So thank you <laughs> for sure. sharing that with all of us. 
Uh, last question for you, Jamie. As we sit here today uh, chatting, uh, you're in Vancouver, so we're all on the same side of the, the world over here at this point mm-hmm. um, in Toronto. Well, you know, what, what makes you smile? What makes me smile? Um, I would say um, z- zany, zany meta humor. So like the comedian, like Dimitri Martin, uh, there's a, there's another guy that just came out on Netflix. His name is James Acaster. He's an English guy. Okay. And he's like a cross, he's a, like a cross between Dimitri Martin and like Eddie Izzard, but like people who are joyfully playing with and tweaking norms and realities, um, especially with like creative wordplay or imagination, um, and, and a bit of, and a bit of kind of like tweaking a sacred cows. Like that is my absolute wheelhouse. I, I, I love it when folks, um, can riff in that way really creatively and, and enjoyably. Love it. Well, <laughs> if you can make your way to this coast just for laughs, uh, Toronto festival starting tonight, actually for the next two weeks. So you'd probably enjoy that. Awesome. Thank awesome. You, thank you so much for your time and, and on behalf of everyone listening and everyone out there, a huge thanks for for the, what you're putting in each day. I mean, the work that you're doing and how you're helping others and just unpacking the mind and how we function as humans. Um, it's really, really impactful work. So thank you for that. For sure. For sure. My pleasure. 